I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Thursday. I hope your day is treating you well. I am feeling really good today because I ate granola this morning that I made last night. I've tried making granola before and it didn't go the way I wanted. I think there's like worlds of granola. Like people have strong opinions in one direction or the other. And I'm one of those people. I'm not going to lie. I think there are people who are really into the clusters, right? Like I want a crunchy, clustery granola. I am not that person. I want all of my granola to be like separate little pieces. I basically want it to be oatmeal that's crispy. I finally made it last night. The first time I ever made granola, it was like too clustery and crunchy for me. And we had this granola in California that was so good. I was just like, man, I really want that granola. I wish I'd bought some and brought it home. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and make it. We had some extra oats this week. So I gave it a try and it was so good and so easy and so simple. And I think I'm going to be doing like a variation of this for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, we're really into the idea right now in our house of getting a recipe book. Like I have gotten it in my head that I need a recipe book, that I need like legacy recipes that I'm going to like pass down to future generations or something. And I want to have like my perfect chili recipe, which I have not figured out yet, but I'm like excited about the process of figuring it out. We have a potato soup that's like one of our staple recipes that I'm going to put in there. I want my granny's cornbread recipe in there, which I need to learn how to do first. Like I need to master it first. But once I have mastered it, it's going in the book. I don't even have the recipe book yet, but like I'm planning for it. And I feel like this granola is going to go in the book. And I'm feeling really good about that. I also think it'd be fun to do like seasonal granola. Like we were talking about like we could do a pumpkin seed granola in the fall and like a coconut one in the summer. I'm spending way more time talking about granola than I planned today, but I'm just really excited about it. <laughs> it was a it was a good start to the morning that it like kind of turned out the way we hoped. But that's not why we're here today. Today we're here for a notes from therapy episode where I share with you takeaways from my personal therapy or other things that are pouring into my life, either in the past or at the moment. Now, Tomorrow on the podcast, we have an exciting episode with Lindsay Frazier and Sam Greenberg about sexuality and the Enneagram, and that conversation with them made me want to talk relationship lessons that I've learned. So I have a lot of these, right? Like relationships are some of our greatest teachers, but I brought three for today. So if you want more of these, just let me know on Instagram or through the phone line and we can do that. Let's get into lesson number one. I learned this one in couples therapy, and that is that you literally cannot discuss things when you are in fight or flight mode, meaning when your response has been activated where you are operating out of your fear space, we have a lot of different reactions to that. We fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and when that has been activated, you are no longer able to think logically, right? At that point, you are fully in survival mode. You are there to protect yourself, to defend yourself. And the opportunity for repair is relatively low, if not non-existent, right? Because your entire being is built at that moment around survival, which 
was great back in the day when we needed to survive off from all, you know, animals that were trying to attack us. You know, when we were like literally surviving the elements, like this ability to kind of turn off all thinking and go into direct survival, like that was really important, right? But now when we're in an emotional conversation that feels like a threat and we respond out of that animalistic instinct, it's not always the right response, right? Sometimes we're going to become really defensive. We're going to become aggressive. We're going to become kind of shut completely down. We may become overly accommodating if you have a fawn response. And either way, what happens here is that you are no longer able to have a logical conversation and you need to take a break. And I've heard it said that 20 minutes is kind of a a good timing for that. I don't know if that's a number that I heard thrown out. I, you know, I, I don't know for sure if that's like an actual, like that's how much it takes to get out of it. But what I learned here is that space and time is important. And I'm the kind of person who wants to barrel through a conflict. So if we have something that is like not working, if Obi and I have like a conflict that's keeping us from feeling connected, I will want to just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about it until we are like on the other side. At the same time, when I feel that like kind of trigger triggered me showing up, kind of getting into fight or flight mode, I can recognize that I need to calm down or I need to take space in order to come back and have a more reparative approach rather than a, I just need you to fix this (laughs) approach, right? And I used to, you know, I have a pretty strong flight response, I think. So it, it can be really tricky to tell the difference between flight and space. And in fact, they're not very different in action, right? Both of them require you to leave the room or take space. It's the way that you take that space that I think is really important. So for me, learning, and I feel like this is a forever lesson or a forever relationship that I'll be in to my own trigger response, is learning to ask for space before I've hit flight. So as I start to feel like defensive, protective, um, offended, you know, any of those kind of things, and I know like, okay, these are typically trigger points for me, I need to pause and say, okay, can we take a quick break? Because I, if I hit that flight mode, right, if I hit to that space and I'm like, I'm out of here, like, you know, I'm not doing that gracefully. And so trying to catch it sooner so that I can communicate from a loving space. Because ideally, when we take that space that is 100% important and necessary, we can do it from a place of love and connection and say, hey, I love you. I want to continue this conversation. Your opinions and your thoughts are important to me. Can we, you know, come back together in 10, 15 minutes or, you know, like I said, 20 minutes and continue this conversation? This can be really tricky if you're someone who fears abandonment, if you're someone who fears, you know, who maybe has an anxious attachment, seeing, you know, taking space can feel really scary. And so also if you are in that space, recognizing that space is important, space is necessary, space is healthy, and we do less damage when we 
operate out of our logical brains and not our animal instinct. So all of that to say, I learned in therapy that this is not something that's like power throughable, right? Like it's not something that I can just like, okay, I'm triggered and I'm just going to like force my way into being not responsive. I'm going to like power muscle my way through this conversation perfectly. No, like our brains aren't built that way. Our brains are responding chemically and they need time to come back down. And if we don't give them that time to come back down, it's very unlikely that we're going to have these delicate conversations in ways that are supportive to the relationship. Because again, we're like so self-protective. It's really hard to think about what the other person's experiencing because empathy has kind of taken a back seat to survival, right? So that is one of the first things that I learned in therapy about relationships is if you're triggered, take space and feel okay if your partner needs to take space when they are triggered and try to do that well. Communicate effectively when you do that. The second lesson that I'm bringing today is from Eric Fromm from the book Art of Loving And it's a quote that I'll read to you. Love is a decision. It is a judgment. It is a promise. If love were only a feeling, there would be no basis for the promise to love each other forever. A feeling comes and it may go. How can I judge that it will stay forever when my act does not involve judgment and decision? In that quote, kind of what I've taken from that is to treat love not as a feeling, but as a ritual or a daily practice. So instead of going, ooh, do I feel in love today? Going, how can I practice the art of love today? How can I show love as a ritual or a practice? What would be a loving way to orient my being today? I mean, that does so much, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in point three, but Love isn't something that we can trust to be a consistent feeling in our lives. We talk all the time on this podcast about how love is or feelings themselves are temporary, right? Like we learn this in the importance of negative emotions not being seen as permanent. Like I'm not going to sink into my negative emotions for the rest of my life, right? We learn it in terms of like even positive feelings. Those are temporary. So if I'm chasing positive emotions all the time, then I'm chasing a temporary sensation. And and are the risks or the things that I do to gain that temporary sensation worth it in the long run? And I'm claiming some seven lessons here, right? But when we think of love as an emotion, it becomes temporary. It becomes conditional. It becomes Well, am I feeling it today or am I not? Are you making me feel this way or not? And it becomes a lot more transactional, a lot more risky, a lot more flimsy. Whereas if love is a ritual or a discipline or a practice, we're committed to it no matter how we feel. This is so important because emotions, again, are so temporary that we need to focus not on how we feel, but focus on what we can do, what we can actually control. I'm of the belief that what we give returns to us more, right? So as I give love, I receive love. 
as I step into love as a ritual and as a practice, I receive love from the people that I give it to, whether that's my partner or the world at large. And I want to be someone who steps into the art of giving love, who practices art, you know, the art of love, the ritual of love. You hear what I'm saying. So all of that to say, love is not a feeling. It is a ritual, a daily practice. It is an art form that we get to perfect over time, which relates to lesson three, which I learned from reading the book, Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz, who's also the author of The Four Agreements, which is a really great book if you haven't read that one. I'm a big fan of The Master of Love. Here is the quote that we're going to talk about. To master a relationship is all about you. The first step is to become aware, to know that everyone dreams his own dream. Once you know this, you can be responsible for your half of the relationship, which is you. If you know that you are only responsible for half of the relationship, you can easily control your half. It is not up to us to control the other half. If we respect, we know that our partner is completely responsible for his or own half. If we respect the other half, there is always going to be a peace in that relationship. There is no war. Next, if you know what is love and what is fear, you become aware of the way you communicate your dream to others. The quality of your communication depends upon the choices you make in each moment. Whether you tune your emotional body to love or to fear, if you catch yourself in the track of fear, just by having that awareness, you can shift your attention into the track of love. Just by seeing where you are, just by changing your attention, everything around you will change. Finally, if you are aware that no one else can make you happy and that happiness is the result of love coming out of you, This becomes the greatest mastery of the Toltec, the mastery of love. We can talk about love and write a thousand books about it, but love will be completely different for each of us because we have to experience love. Love is not about concepts. Love is about action. Love in action can only produce happiness. Fear in action can only produce suffering. Now, what I took away from this when I read it originally was like, focus on your half of the relationship what you are bringing to the table, and let the rest fall as it does. We've talked before here about the circle of control and how we need to focus on our circle of control. What do I think, feel, and do? And so often when we're in relationship, we have this really strong desire to go into the other person's half and do their job for them, try to bring them closer to our side, be more like us. We try to control or fix or solve their half. And the thing here is that when you focus on your half, then you're able to recognize what the other half actually is. Meaning if I'm going into the other person's half doing their work, for them. I'm preventing myself from honestly assessing the relationship. Is this relationship working for me? Is this relationship supportive for me, loving for me? Is this a good place to be? Because when I focus so much on their half, I'm I'm not so focused on my half and I'm trying to prevent a negative outcome 
right? So if I'm over there trying to control and fix and solve, I'm trying to guarantee a positive outcome for myself while doing more of the work, meaning I'm not able to see what they would even put in because I'm going in and filling that space for them. Instead, I want to focus on my half of the relationship. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be supportive. I'm going to be not controlling of your experience. I'm going to see you as you are and witness you showing up as you desire to show up, as you naturally are. I'm going to pour in love to myself so that I recognize what love looks and feels like. And then I'm going to notice and pay attention to how you choose to show up for me. When we do that, when we focus on our half, we're pouring into our half, we're pouring love out, not only do we create a space for just a healthy relationship, right, where no one's controlled, where love is not conditional, where we're not over-functioning in order to maintain the relationship, but we also are more so able to recognize what relationships are good for us and which ones are not working because we are filling our own cup, we're full, we're complete, we can go, oh, I'm seeing now that without me jumping into your space and overdoing, you're not going to show up for me. And that isn't what this person who is full of love, who knows what they deserve, who's feeling confident in themselves deserves. Here's the other thing when we talk about confidence here, it's not just about pouring love into yourself. It's also about recognizing that when we control, when we try to go into someone else's space, it it affects our self-esteem because we know we're not supposed to be doing that, right? We know there's something off about that that's not working. And when we're acting out of alignment with what feels best, with what feels most loving, with what feels most like healthy and grounded – We lose our sense of self-trust and we sacrifice our confidence, honestly, right? We start to feel like, oh, I'm a burden in this dynamic. Instead, again, pull back, focus on your half, and let the other person do their half. Let them fill their own gaps, right? Don't try to compensate for them. And last piece of this, if we're so used to going in and doing the other person's half, how Often are we missing out on the love they're trying to show us because we're so focused on trying to fix and solve and and control that we can't even recognize the love that is being freely given. And we're not able to even see the love they're trying to show or the support they're trying to show because we're so focused on what's missing. So again, I love the thought of like, I focus on my half. All I can do is control myself. And then all that I can do is receive love from this other person. This is a really good book. It goes much more in depth to this and does a better job of explaining it. He even kind of equates loving a partner to having a pet, which I think is a weird thing to hear said unless you've read the book because he adds necessary context. But kind of thinking of it as like, oh, this is just a person here that I love. This isn't a person that I need to be the same as. It's not someone I need to control or someone that I need to perfect. It's a being here who has chosen to spend their life with me and we're going to learn how to better live together. They're not a problem to be solved. You know, and and they don't have to learn how to love me. I don't have to like perfect the love that we share with each other. We just get to experience that love together because 
we choose to show up each day. I'm doing kind of a bad job of explaining that part, so I'm going to let you guys check out the book if that's of interest to you. But for today's, for the sake of today's lessons, focus on your half, give love, and allow that to be enough. Let the rest fall as it does. All right, friends, I hope that this episode was supportive for you. If you want more of these little relationship lessons that I've picked up over time, let me know. And I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.